Well, we continue on in 1 Samuel chapter 27 tonight. It's 12 short verses, and I love it because if you were just reading this at home, this would be an easy uh, time for you to just kind of fly through these verses, because uh, they, seem, they seem like they don't have a lot of meaning if you just fly over them. Uh, but once you dig in, you'll see some spiritual truths that are huge. Uh, they might sound basic, but they're good um, solid truths that we all need to recenter ourselves. And so uh, you've probably noticed by now this, this scenario that we've seen over and over and over. Saul is the king, and he has been rejected by God. He is not going to be the king much longer over Israel, and David is going to be that king. So Saul has been chasing David in and out of the mountains and all over the place, and David has had a several opportunities uh, to kill Saul, and he has not done so because he does not want to hurt um, or put his hand on the Lord's anointed. And so seeing this scenario uh, as a historical narrative is important, but there's also some symbolism in it. You see, Saul represents disobedience. He represents uh, the world. He represents your old life. He represents sin. Um, He represents the old you, the old plan. And David represents a new plan. He represents obedience, seeking after God's heart, and doing the Lord's will. And so Saul continues uh, to chase David, but David has decided in chapter 27 tonight, David has decided to move to a new land. Now, if you know the history and the context that Israel, in the midst of their own internal struggles, their primary enemy were the Philistines. And earlier in 1 Samuel, we saw them fighting the Philistines on a regular basis. Now we get back in the end of 1 Samuel, we see the Philistines, start. they, they come back into the picture. It would have been crazy way back in 1 Samuel chapter 4 or 5 or 6 to think of David living in the Philistine territory and becoming, to some extent, one of them. But he sees that his life is falling apart just running from Saul, running from the world, running from sin and disobedience. And he finds himself making a drastic change and going to live under King Achish of Gath's uh, reign and in the Philistine territory. So in this, we see that Jesus being the, the better David uh, not only can show us the path in coming to a new life, but he can create obviously, a new life for us through his death and resurrection. And so let that be your reminder as we walk through tonight. David is doing this. He's going on a new journey for a new life, a fresh start, um, making drastic changes. And uh, that's, that's why we entitled this tonight, Switching Sides. Uh, but remember that Jesus is ultimately the one who can actually help us go from death to life through his death and resurrection. I know personally, uh, there's probably many people in this room that you found yourself as a Christian early in life and you didn't feel like you necessarily were switching sides, going from someone who loved the world to loving God. You just grew up maybe in the church uh, and it wasn't this huge change. It was what you knew and Thank God for those testimonies. Uh, For me, I know I had all kinds of dreams and hopes for my life that were far from God. You know, most of you know, I came to faith later in life. I remember when I was a little kid, I... um I wanted to open a candy store, and I remember we were doing construction in our living room, and my uh, dad had part of the wall opened up. There wasn't drywall on it, and I stored bags of candy back there thinking that one day I would be able to, to sell it, and without me knowing, he, he sealed the wall, 
So to this day, I'm sure there's candy uh, in this, what could have been wonderful candy store now in my, my parents' living room. Uh, another time, I wanted to be a wildlife photographer. I thought this is going to be amazing. I would wake up and I would take pictures of animals, even like bunnies in our yard, and I'd put them in a, in a picture book and I would write their like real name. I'd say, this is the Eastern Cottontail and, and this is a possum. And I just, man, I was just a little kid and I loved it. And uh, by the time I was obviously in college, I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, after that, I, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to work as a park ranger. I had all kinds of plans for my life. And when I became a Christian, I found out very quickly what it looked like to switch sides, to go from uh, death to life, to go from not being a, a follower of Jesus to devoting myself to him, even through my own flaws. And so for some of you, um, big picture-wise, Maybe, maybe tonight's the night you realize you need that big change. This isn't an adjustment for you. This is fully devoting yourself to Jesus. For others, this might be more of a recentering and keeping the main thing the main thing. And so I'm going to preach this a little bit different tonight. Um, normally, in these longer chapters, I stop every I, I stop four or five times and um, preach through those bullet points. I'm going to stop three times in, in these twelve verses, but in each one of those, uh, I'm going to give you three challenges or or practical tips that will help encourage you. So, if you're a note taker, this is one of those nights where you probably scribble down a bunch of stuff, and by the time you look up at me, I'll be moving on to the next thing. Um, but I hope this this encourages you as you see. Um, that may be part of your life, even as many of you are believers, uh, maybe part of your life has been, uh, been hard to fully give over to the Lord, and you find yourself switching sides back and forth uh, between the Lord and the things of this world. So let's walk through this. Chapter 27, we'll start in verse 1. And it says, again, we, we pick up David, uh, had that last encounter with Saul, and Saul uh, finally bowed down and said, I have sinned, I should never have chased you, and David could have killed him, but he didn't. And now David moves on, and he says in verse 1 in chapter 27, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Again, if you know the context, this is crazy that he would think the best going for him right now is to be a Philistine. Then Saul would dis will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish of Gath, he and his men, every man and his household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Because again, Saul doesn't want to fight the Philistines at this point in time. He, he's got an internal struggle going on with David, so he stops seeking David. First thing we see. When it comes to switching sides, you find that there is a need for a change. A need for a change. So David comes to this conclusion. That the path I'm currently on is going to lead to what? Death. 
death. You ever, you ever been there? You ever have come to that realization that I can't keep doing this. I can't, I can't be in these relationships. I can't have this kind of behavior. I can't hang out with these people. I can't continue down this path because it leads to death. Of course, the scripture tells us that's what sin does. It, it leads to death. And David, he is finding out. His life is leading to him being killed by the hands of Saul. Picture, though, the humility that it's got to take for David to come to this conclusion. Like, he has been proclaimed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. So he's, he's probably been struggling, like, why has it taken so long to transition from Saul being the king to me being the king? I can't even live in, <laughs> in my own homeland. I can't even partake in being... Uh, an owner of the promised land as just a, a, a child of God and a person, a part of the nation of Israel. Like, I mean, he has had to humble himself and be like, you got to be kidding me. How in the world am I the king that can't even be led into his own kingdom? And now I'm going to go to the enemy? It's a big deal to go to the Philistines and to serve another king. Now we're going to see by the end of this how God redeems this um, and so David's not a traitor, but he is having to humble himself. Let me ask you, in your own life, what areas, because you know we can say, I, I want to devote myself to you, Jesus. Um, but each day, we tend to take back parts of our lives, don't we? This is why we have to deny ourselves to pick up our cross daily, he commands. What parts of your life do you find that maybe were, even a few months ago, Maybe even a few weeks ago, we're under the lordship of Jesus, but now they're slipping back into the world. Maybe your finances. Maybe there's been a time where you've honored God with your finances. Now you find yourself in debt. You find, find yourself uh, not as generous as you once, once were. Maybe your relationships, as we talk about on a regular basis. Maybe you're, you're seeking refuge in the wrong people. Um, maybe you are finding just the, the relationships with those that you have. They could be healthy, but they're not. They're filled with slander or complaining or gossip. You find that who you are at work is not who you are at home, or the way that you treat your spouse is not the way you're treating your coworkers. Maybe it's just your attitude. You feel great on a Sunday morning when you're singing praise songs, but then throughout the week, you find yourself grumbling to yourself. And maybe nobody sees it, but you know your attitude is horrible. And it doesn't look like Jesus is the Lord of even your attitude. I think there's always parts of us that we've got to challenge ourselves and have heart checks that maybe this isn't under the lordship of Jesus anymore. That's what discipleship is. It's learning to put every aspect of our lives under the lordship and power and presence of Jesus. So it's no, it, we shouldn't be caught off guard that these things slip back into the, the lordship of the world, but we've got to fight for them and, and surrender everything on a daily basis. So I want to give you three uh, things, three solutions, three tips, three challenges in seeking and realizing the need for a change in your life. First one is to have situational awareness. To have situational awareness. Now David... He realizes in verse 1, Saul's going to kill me. This path is going to kill me. But isn't it interesting that it's not David's friends who tell him this? David's friends, if you remember in the last few chapters, they're telling him, go kill Saul. Go fight this fight. It's not some preacher. 
Samuel hasn't come back to the dead or from the dead. That's next chapter. (laughs) It gets weird. Um, Next chapter, by the way, just a heads up. But it's his what? His heart. It says in his heart, he realized. Verse 1. That this path was deadly. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. This is where Jesus, being the better David, he, he doesn't just work through people, but his Holy Spirit does what only his Holy Spirit can do in convicting you and I in our heart, in our core being, that we cannot continue down this road. You know, Silas, <laughs> being a little boy, he does a lot of silly things. Um, and there's lots of times during the day where it's fun and it's, it's okay and appropriate uh, to be silly. But, you know, sometimes things are serious. And he, being a little boy, he, he, didn't, he didn't recognize that it's time to kind of get it together. And even the other day, we were walking out of the, the house. We we're going to go on a little bit of a road trip to see my family. And we had the car packed and we're ready to go. And Tara's about to lock the door behind me. And we have, if, if you've been to our house, you know, we have uh, just a little stoop that's about 18 inches off the ground. It's just a block of concrete, but there's not much room on it. Um, and there's uh, flower beds to each side. And Silas was reaching down after he walked outside and he was on the stoop. He was reaching down uh, to pick up his rock. He has fishing sticks, and he calls them fishing sticks. They're just sticks. Um, and he has rocks, pebbles he has all over, and he knows them, and he, it, it means something to him. But he was reaching down because there was a cricket like four inches away. And you know in the fall there's crickets everywhere. And, and, and he saw this cricket, and he said, Oh, no, the cricket's eating my rock. The cricket's getting my rock. The cricket's getting my rock. And he was trying to get his rock away from the cricket so the cricket wouldn't eat his rock. And I said, Buddy, we got to go. And I had him in my hand. And he said, No, i got to get the cricket. And I said, Silas, we have got to go. And I'm trying to walk down the steps with him and he's pulling and I know little guys like him they only weigh like 25 30 pounds but when they get to tugging they can they can just maneuver themselves right out of your hands and so he slipped out of my hands and he fell backwards and he landed again 18 inches off of this concrete stoop uh, which by itself landing in the mulch wouldn't have been a big deal but he landed in the middle of a rose bush and if you know rose bushes they got little thorns everywhere and he looks up at us. He looks up at us in the sky and just screams. He's like, ah! And he is tore. You can tell. Tara and I knew instantly, like, oh, no, this is not good. Like, he landed right in the center of it. And he, uh, he's crying, and so we pick him up. Notice how in my last two sermons, this is just things that have happened the last week of him falling downstairs or falling in rose bushes and crying. But we picked him up, and he showed me where he hurt, and he had a little cut on his hand, and we took him in. And I said, Silas, you have got, you have got to learn to be obedient and to stop messing around when it's not time to mess around. And he said, yeah, okay. And you know what? I don't know if it's going to last. But he hadn't tried to chase crickets away from his rocks lately. You see, I could tell him all day long, Silas, let's go. Silas, stop doing this. But he has got to, in his heart of hearts, whether it's through calamity or tragedy or falling in a rose bush, in his heart of hearts, he's got to realize, because nobody could tell him otherwise, that he needs to change. Because he's headed to a bad place. He's headed to a rough place. We've got to have situational awareness. Where you are right now in some areas of your life is not healthy. Second thing we see 
is you've got to find the right alternative. You've got to find the right alternative. So obviously when life is going rough, uh, there's all kinds of places you and I like to turn. We like to turn to our mamas and our brothers and our sisters and our coworkers. Uh, we turn to self-medicating. We turn to all kinds of coping mechanisms, but you've got to find the right one. In this case, David is doing something incredibly drastic. He's leaving his comfort zone, and he's going to a place he never thought he would go. There might be some in this room who never, ever thought they would be a Christian. Or maybe they felt like, you know what, church is weird. I don't want to be a part of it. Um, And I even maybe feel like God has given me a bad hand of cards. And I'm ticked at him. But it's funny when all those alternatives prove themselves shallow and hollow and not very fulfilling, uh, how you find yourself seeing the Lord as the best option. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? And the quicker we come to that realization, uh, the better for our lives. But you've got to find that as the perfect and only and best alternative. You see, God's going to always be seen as a threat and maybe even stupid in the eyes of people who are trying to build their own kingdoms. But when your kingdom collapses, his kingdom seems like a better way to go. Let me ask you this. When you disciple people and you see them struggling and you're counseling them, do you have the boldness, the courage, the wisdom, discernment to help them to see the difference between an adjustment in their life and just flat out abandoning their plan and seeking God wholeheartedly? I think a lot of times we hear people uh, tell us uh, about their drama and their pain and all that's going on and and we struggle and it's hard to have courage to say, you know what, (laughs) it doesn't seem like any part of your life, especially this part, is under the lordship of Jesus. And what they want is maybe a listening ear or they want to hear about an adjustment they need to make to go left or to go right. And we got to have the boldness and courage to say, you need an alternative (laughs) that is just flat out full devotion to the Lord because you're seeking other things and they're not working. Do you have the boldness to tell those you love, those you pour into, the hard stuff? The third thing we see is you got to make a move. you got to make a move. It says that David, he arose. He took 600 men and he went over to face this king. Now remember, this had to be kind of humiliating. There was another time in 1 Samuel, do you remember, when David found himself before the same king? It was in chapter 21. And it was when he was running from Saul. If you remember the story, this is when David had spittle in his beard. Remember, he was acting crazy because the king didn't know that Saul and David were at odds and and, and the king's men were like, hey, this is David who's killed a ton of Philistines. What is he doing here? And David's like, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't good. And so he starts acting crazy and Akish is finally like, "Uh, he's a madman. Just get him out of my presence. What do I need more madmen for? So that's David's background with this king. I've either killed all your people or I've spit all over myself to get out of your presence because I thought you were going to kill me. And now I'm taking 600 men, and it said all their families, so you're probably over 1,000 people. Everything I've got, I'm coming to your land, and I'm going to humble myself before you. (laughs) See, I'm telling you, if you're at home, you're reading this, you can just fly through this and be like, whatever, Philistines, Gath, Akish, who cares? But this would have 
this would have been crazy <laughs> for David to do this. You see, good news is only good news if you make a move on that good news. You can know what's right all day long. You can sit with a thousand friends who, who tell you, filled with the Holy Spirit, you got to stop this behavior. You, you need to devote yourself to the Lord. You need to surrender this part of your life because it is headed towards destruction. Or maybe you need to devote all of yourself because you got nothing that's under the Lordship of Jesus. You could hear it all day long, but if you don't make a move and do the hard things, it don't mean nothing. Listen, the cost of following Jesus will always be greater than you originally thought. But the reward of following Jesus will always also be greater than you originally thought. We shouldn't be surprised when this costs us everything. This is what he told us it would cost. This is what he told us. Verse 5. And then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, day, that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Verse 7. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Okay, second thing we see. When you switch sides, when you go from the world to following the Lord, you got to know there is a need for a change. And you got to know that we are called to abide or to, to live in Jesus. To live in Jesus. So verses 5, 6, and 7 now David's seen he needs to change. He makes a move. And so now he's in a new kingdom with a new king. It's a good place to be. But what do you do for new Christians, for new believers? And say, what's the faith all about? What do I need to know about? Like if you could sum this up, what is it? And David's trying to find a place to live. And for us, we know Jesus has commanded us to abide in in him, to live in him. To live in Jesus means many things. It means to love him, to obey him, to serve him. So it's active, but it's also where you find your rest and your contentment and your joy and your comfort. It is the home in which you dwell, but it's also the relationship within the home that makes the home special. To live in Jesus is the core of our daily walk with him. See, it's interesting. When David goes uh, to live in this new land, he's given this random town, this country town. It's about 25 miles away from Gath, where they are, uh, called Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was actually part of the promised land that you see way back with Moses, but it was never conquered by the Israelites. So even in David's story, although it looks like his life is getting more and more horrible, he's actually fulfilling the Torah, the promises of God, in that this promised land was never fully conquered. Saul failed. The judges failed. Those before him never fully got this part of the promised land. And in David's exile, he's redeeming it by saying, you know what? Why don't you send me to one of these other places? 
And it says that it stayed in the hands of Israel to this day. To this day being when they wrote this scripture, more than likely hundreds of years after this incident. David is taking over part of the promised land. But to abide in Jesus um, is essentially the core of a marriage. You're in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And to be with him is what it's all about. And of course, there's lots of parts to that. But when you think about marriage and life, uh, you think about the relationship, the joy you have with your spouse, the love, the way you serve them, uh, all that's wrapped into marriage in many ways translates to what it's like to have a relationship with the Lord. I remember when Tara and I were first married, we moved here to Salina and for, um, what was it? year and a half, maybe two years. We, we lived here, and it was wonderful. It was great. And then God called us to move to Virginia. And Tara had to finish out, uh, as a nurse at the hospital, she had to finish out part of her contract. Um, so she had to stay here for uh, at least a month while I went ahead because school started at the university I was at. And so for a month, as newlyweds, we were away from each other. Now, I know big picture, uh, you look at military, other situations, people are away, spouses are away from each other, um, in many cases, much longer than that. But for us, we hadn't been away from each other uh, for that amount of time. And I'll tell you what, when you're married for that first year or two, and, and you just get used to marriage, being separated for a month stinks. Much more for me than for her. <laughs> because you start to depend on that person. You enjoy being around them. You, you get used to serving them. And you find that it's not the same living without them. I remember being out in Virginia and everything I experienced in that first month, I always thought to myself, every restaurant I went to, every beautiful scene I saw, I thought, this this would be better with Tara. This would be better if my wife was here. And not only that, I was dangerous by myself. I wanted to get the house ready. We lived in a little apartment on the edge of the ghetto and I wanted to get it looking as good as I could for when she came. And I went out to buy soap for the two different bathrooms and, and for the uh, kitchen. And I, I kid you not, this is how clueless I was. I bought Germex thinking that it was soap. And I had Germex at every single one of the faucets. And for a month, I was washing my hands with what was a strangely thin soap that would disappear by the time I even rubbed my hands together. I thought, this is the cheapest, most horrible soap I've ever had. That's because it was not soap. It was germ X. And she showed up and she's like, what are you doing with yourself? That's what it's like when you're separated, but you're married. And for some of us, that, that's what it's like with Jesus. We know in our core, we know I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit, but I'm miserable right now. I, I'm having a hard time connecting with God in his word. I'm having a hard time um, just, just praying because we're married but we're separated. At least that's how it feels. And we found ourselves just little by little, even though we got one hand on Jesus and we know I'm found in Christ, we, we little by little find ourselves tempted by the things of this world and we're trying to find some joy and hope in those things. And Jesus is saying, you can't, you, can't, you can't do both. You can enjoy the things that I have created, but you can't find your joy in them and you can't find your hope in them. And it's a struggle. And we need Jesus uh, more than we ever realized, even as followers. Some of us need to move back in with Jesus. <laughs> we're married, but we're separated. And so, a few things I want to challenge you in. 
when it comes to living in Christ from these few verses that we see with David. The first one is settle down. Settle down. You've got to make the choice to stop the search. We talk about seeking God all the time. Seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. He promises that we'll find him. And yet some of us find him and we keep seeking. Sometimes it's quietly, but our heart's still seeking other things. Other things. And it's, it's deceiving because it's under the banner of following Jesus, um, which makes us think that it's always holy. Well, if I'm seeking a relationship, then that's a, that's a wonderful thing. If I'm seeking a better life for myself, then that's, that's a good thing. As long as, hey, I still say Jesus is Lord. But sometimes your heart is just torn and you're seeking those things in ways that you shouldn't. But you've got to make that choice. You've you got to settle down and not just trust that Jesus is enough. You've got to taste it. You've got to taste it. Let me, let me challenge you this um, in this practice. When you're praying, I know many of us come and we ask a lot of things from God, and that's good. He wants to hear you ask from Him. But just spend some of your time, maybe even even just a good chunk of time, praising Him for His attributes. Listing off in your prayer all of the things that He is, that He is powerful, that He is sovereign, that He is amazing, that He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, all of the things you've heard preachers preach all the time and you read it in Scripture. But are you telling God those things? To hear them come out of your mouth changes your perspective. To, to, to feel them come out of your mouth changes your heart. And then you go from just trusting that Jesus is enough to tasting that he's enough. You've you got to realize, hey, I can settle down and find my contentment. I, I cannot just know that Jesus is enough. I can actually experience it. You've got to remind yourself who you're in a relationship with. And there's no need to stray when you're reminded just how amazing he is. But you, you've got to be the one reminding yourself that. Second thing. When you live in Jesus, you've got to find your place. You've got to find your place. When you come to the local church, as some of you have been to many different local churches, there's an adjustment process, isn't there? Um, where you find out, okay, do I fit here? Am I comfortable here? And then you find yourself committing. Hopefully, you found yourself in that place. And then you find yourself serving and growing with those people. When it comes to God's kingdom, David is saying, hey, put me in one of the country towns. Why should I be with you uh, here in this city? Put me in one of the country towns. David's finding his place where he's going to serve, where he's going to settle down, and he sees his little part in God's kingdom. And you've got to do that as well. Let me ask you this. And maybe for those in this room, this might not apply. But maybe for those listening online, it will. If you say that Crosspoint is your home, your home isn't just a place you're comfortable with, it's where you serve. Are you serving the Lord here? Like if you left tomorrow, would the people at Crosspoint, your brothers and sisters, your family, or would they even know? Would there be a hole? Like are, are you impacting this group of people for the kingdom of God? And of course, whether you're greeting at the door or you're preaching on stage, it's all important. But God has given you gifts. First Peter 4.10 says that each one of us has received a gift from the Lord. Gift is grace. We're going to bless 
other people in the kingdom with what God has given us? Are you using your gifts? I would love to spend time with you seeking and trying options and and seeing whatever we have to do to find out how has God gifted you? There's so much fulfillment in that. What about a grow group? Are you finding yourself uh, devoted to the other people in this church? Are you finding yourself growing with them, walking, discipling them? You gotta find your place. And the last one, is to embrace grace. Now what I mean is to embrace what God has given you. So here's the thing. David comes before this king and as humiliating, as humbling as it is to surrender to this king, David asks a bold question. Can I, can I go to one of these other little towns? Now this isn't just like me. This is 600 men with their families. We're, we're going to kind of take up some space and some resources. And he boldly asks, he says, if I have found favor with you, everyone who's found in the Lord has favor with God. And you know, as Jesus says, God wants us to come to make our requests to him, that he's a good daddy, that he has blessed the animals, the birds of the air. How much more is he going to take care of us? And so, Embrace what God has given you. Another practice in prayer that will change your heart, change your perspective, is is to make a list. Search the scriptures. As you're praying, talk to God. Thank him for all of the things he has given you. Not just possessions. The things that you find, the spiritual blessings you have in Christ. That you are a new creation. Thank God for that. Individually. Thank God that you're a new creation. Thank God uh, for this new identity, that you are part of the family of God, that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you have an inheritance in Christ, that you are a citizen of heaven, not this earth. And if you've watched any of the debates lately, thank God that we have a citizenship in heaven. Amen? That you're given new purpose. I mean, one at a time, thank God for all of the rich blessings in Christ that he has given you. You can search the scriptures high and low, and it almost seems endless, all of the blessings you have, all of the grace you have in God. Embrace it. That's key when you're going to live in Jesus. The last few verses. Verse 8. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old. Now remember, God told Moses and then Joshua, wipe these people out. Wipe them out. They have disobeyed me. I'm giving you their land. So this is, this is key context. As far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. So on one hand, he's conquering the promised land for God. On the other hand, he's blessing the the king that he's with. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negeb of Judah, or against the Negeb of the Jeremelites, Melites, or against the Negeb of the Kenites. Now, that, that, 
That's a key verse we'll talk about in a second. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So Kish is thinking, David's conquering all these people for me. But we're going to see something different. Last but not least, when you switch sides, when you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive in Christ, from a slave to the world to a slave of God, you see there was a need for a change. You find yourself living in Christ, abiding in him daily, and you find yourself called to his mission to live on mission. So David goes to this new land. He saw there was a need for it. He went there. He found his place there. He's living there. And now he's on mission there. He's taking up the purpose, the call of King Achish. He is expanding the kingdom. He's expanding the kingdom. That's what you and I are. We're disciple makers. We're called to expand God's kingdom with God and empowered by God. Again, from the outside, (laughs) looks like David's life is kind of horrible. He's in exile, yet he redeems his time there and says, I'm going to serve the Lord right here in the middle of nowhere in a little place called Ziklag with my 600 guys and all their family. Wherever you are, right here, right now, you can serve the Lord. It would be very easy for him to be uh, filled with Self-pity and worthlessness and wondering how in the world did I get out in the middle of nowhere. And yet he's quietly making a huge impact for God in ways that Saul, the king with all the resources, couldn't do or refused to do. David, pushed away from all of humanity into this little corner, is making a bigger kingdom impact, expanding God's kingdom more than those who had all the resources and people that they could need. Mm, That's amazing. I love how David's on mission wherever he is. You see, to him, to him going to Ziklag, it isn't just a place of refuge. It's a launch pad. It's a launch pad. That's what the church is. That's what when you and I gather and have these meetings, that's what this is. I hope you find comfort. I hope you find this as a refuge, but this is a launching pad. I see Sunday mornings as obviously first and foremost a time to worship and glorify God, but I see the church coming together, hopefully worn out a little bit from a life or a week on mission with the Lord, coming back to, to get rejuvenated, to get filled up again, to be replenished and so they can go back out sent on mission throughout the week. Our gatherings are a launch pad for what God wants to do through you this week. This is huge. It says that David wiped out the Amalekites. He wiped out all these people. This is crucial because you're going to see in the very next chapter, God, through Samuel, who is raised as a spirit from the earth, it's, you know, I'm telling you, it gets weird, tells Saul the reason why God made you, he, he ended your kingship, is because you would not wipe out the Amalekites. Out of all the things Saul screwed up in, and Samuel says that was it. 
that you did not expand God's kingdom and do exactly, detail for detail, what God told you to do. For some of us, we think about expanding God's kingdom as like, okay, those are just the spiritually elite, and you know we talk about this on a regular basis. But it's crucial because we see here in Scripture and in the next chapter, God judges you based on whether you take his mission and obedience to it seriously. All of a sudden, it's not just, well, you know, if I climb the spiritual ladder, one day I could maybe partake in God's mission. No. When he calls you to come to him, he's also calling you to be a fisher of men. And he gives you everything you need to partake in that. It's so easy. It's so easy in your life right now to get caught up in drama to get caught up in the ebbs and flows of, well, you know what, I'm having a good week. Um, things have gone well financially. Or, you know what, I had a breakdown in my car. It's been a rough week. Or my relationships, they've been kind of crazy. Listen, you can, you can talk about that stuff all day long. There will never be an end <laughs> outside of death itself where we won't have those ebbs and flows of, of just living life, right? But stop. Ask yourself, am I making an impact for God's kingdom? Is his lordship over this city, over my workplace, over my home and my family? Is it expanding? Because I'm walking by faith with God's spirit, knowing I can't save people, I can't change people, but I can walk in faith and obey him and sharing my faith and being a light that attracts people to want what I have inside. And regardless of that question, tell yourself this. I know I can serve him. I can expand his kingdom right now, right here. For some of us, we'll go listen to sermons for years and years and years. And we just need someone to tell us, you can be a part of the mission right now, right here. None of us have the excuse that David did. (laughs) David's in a foreign land in the middle of nowhere and yet still making a huge kingdom impact. I um I I have found myself in life filled with excuses at times. Uh, I remember one time when I first became a Christian, I was probably a year into following Jesus and I was part of that young group um that complained about everything like just wonderfully um gifted in pointing out the flaws of the local church but not necessarily willing to do anything about it. You know, you ever been part of that crew? Um I I was there myself. And I remember I sat down with my my friend, my mentor. He was the youth pastor uh, at Crosspoint Hutch. And I sat down and I told him, I said, listen, we're a church of hundreds and we're growing rapidly. um, And I'm new to this whole Christianity thing. But are we taking care of the single moms, the widows, um, the orphans, the people that like you see in scripture we're called to take care of? I don't see any ministry from this local church to do that. And I I was complaining about it. And he smiled and said, you're right, we should. So are you going to do something about it? And I was like, ah. And, and not being a little bit filled with the Spirit and a little bit uh, just a punk kid, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do something about it. And, and I said, let's start this. So that day, we started a ministry, and we came up with a little name. It was called LifeLink, and uh, the, the leaders in Hutch were like, yeah, do it, whatever. That's one beautiful thing I've always appreciated about Crosspoint, that if you, empowered by the Spirit, say, let's do something, let's do a specific ministry, we'll say, in more cases than not, okay, we'll resource you, we'll help you, do it. Let's do it together. And so we started this ministry, and over the next year, 
We got all kinds of volunteers. I think we had over 50 volunteers, and uh, we did a project. At least every week, we were helping um, everything from picking up limbs to changing light bulbs for little old ladies and cleaning their houses to uh, helping single moms, and we did all kinds of projects, 40 or 50 of them over the next year. And and the ministry could have been even greater if I had experience and I knew what I was doing. I think I I learned a lot of leadership um, in, in that short year. But I found myself going from complaining about it to being in the midst of something powerful for God's kingdom. I didn't dream it up that way. It just happened. And I was surprised at how quickly I went from sitting on the sidelines to the thick of it. There's some people in this room who have ideas and God's been placing things on your heart for years and you thought, eh, I don't want to say anything about it. I'm not sure. You know what? I'll just, eh. And you talk yourself out of even jumping into it. But if God's saying, do it, do it. And I'll say something else. I found myself on fire when I jumped into God's mission because I experienced his power in new ways. And not only in that, but I found that those closest to me, the friendships I was building, because on the side, I wanted, I wanted friendship. I wanted to get married. I wanted all those things that young people often want. And I was searching for them. But when I found myself devoted to God's mission, those closest to me were the ones who were the most on fire for his mission. And we found ourselves together because we cared about the same things. That's where I met my wife. I mean, there was nothing that should have brought us together outside of God and his sovereignty, but we served together. She was a key volunteer in that ministry. And by the year's end, when I had driven most people off from volunteering in the ministry, she was still there and we were serving together. And we found ourselves uh, around each other. And I thought, man, she's on fire. Not only is she hot, but she's on fire for (laughs) the Lord. It's funny how God has a way of working out those relationship desires and those friendships and all that other stuff when you're fully devoted to his mission. If you want to live on mission, let's see what David shows us in these last few verses. The first one is you've got to be well-rounded. When we talk about worshiping the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, others have put it this way, with your head, your heart, and your hands, we see uh, David worshiping the Lord in the middle of nowhere with his heart in that he could have just done nothing, but he had a desire to expand God's kingdom. He knew God's word and he went after it. Every day he's raiding someone else, taking over the promised land. He he did it obviously with his hands. He got to work. He took a step and he he was doing something for God's kingdom. But I said earlier, there's a key verse. He also worshiped God with his mind in that he was cunning. When he would come back to King Akish, and King Akish would say, where did you raid today? And he would say, oh, I went to the Negev, or the desert of uh, uh, Judah, or this place, Jezreel, or this place. And he was rifling off the names of the Israelite country. Now, what <clears throat> King Akish thought was that David was attacking his own people, the Israelites. And that's what made King Akish trust David more and more and more. But David, knowing my people don't yet own that land, technically, they're not in the land, but God promised it to him hundreds of years ago, and I'm just claiming what's rightfully theirs. So he's not killing his own people. He's killing the Amalekites and all the people that God told him to kill hundreds of years ago, or told Israel to kill. And so he's serving God and expanding God's kingdom and not hurting the Israelites, but King Achish thinks that his own kingdom's being expanded. David, in his cunning 
way. Serves the Lord. Maybe you find yourself here tonight serving the Lord with your mind, intellectually, and your heart, you're passionate about it, but not with your hands. You won't get up out of your seat and make, take that step to do something. You know you could serve on Sundays, you could serve in ways far outside of this building, but, but you're just timid. Take that step. Maybe you are serving God with your hands right now. Maybe you're in his word and you're, you're coming to cross training every week and intellectually you're worshiping him. You're knowing what, what is right in the eyes of the Lord and you're trying to do that, but your heart just isn't in it. You're not passionate. So you're not worshiping with your heart. Or again, maybe your heart's in it. Maybe you're serving, but intellectually you're lazy. You won't devote yourself to studying his word. You won't devote yourself to doing the right things. And so your life outside of church is struggling spiritually. Whatever he's telling you to do, be well-rounded in it and let every part of your body worship him. Second thing, Redeem your current situation. David obviously redeems his current situation. We've talked about that already. He's in exile and yet he uses it to expand God's kingdom. Whatever brokenness you have, you don't need to get through this to start making an impact for God's kingdom. God can use you in the midst of your brokenness. And we need to come to terms with whatever your situation is. Uh, Maybe you got financial issues and you're thinking, well, when I get out of debt, I'll start worshiping God financially. No, you worship him now. Maybe when I'm out of debt, then I can help other people to get out of debt. No, walk with other people together as you're getting out of debt. You, you can serve the Lord and be on mission with your struggles. And you need to know that your struggles may never come out and, and be healed in the sense that they look perfect and nice and clean and they're put in a tidy box. You're like, okay, I'm completely out of bad financial uh, situation and everything's wonderful or my relationships, they all look perfect. And, and then it might not look like that. It might kind of be messy for the rest of your life. But what if in the midst of your mess, you seeking the Lord and wanting it to be under the lordship of him. What if you ministered to person after person after person struggling with the same thing? And God got glory not just because he was healing your mess, but because you were reaching out to the others in the midst of it. Wherever you are in your brokenness, even to the things that aren't under the lordship of Christ, grab someone else who's struggling and walk together through it. And last but not least, identify as a missionary. What is the reputation that David's starting to get with Akish? Akish is like, every day he's coming and he's saying he raided another land. He went and he expanded the kingdom. Like his reputation, primarily at this point, King David's is, I'm a kingdom expander. I know that you and I want to be known for a lot of things. We want to be good parents. We want to be good co-workers and bosses. We want to be good children. We want to be a lot of things. But I'm telling you what, I've been called a lot of things. Some maybe not so good over the years. I have never, I've never felt bad when someone called me a disciple maker. When someone said, oh, that's Ryan, he's a church planner. I never felt bad. Because you got a lot of identities in Christ, but one of the most beautiful is that of a missionary. Do the people in your life know you as a missionary? You're called to be a missionary. 
Embrace it. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And listen, I know even there's even maybe a little bit of something in you saying, you know what? Um, I want to be a disciple, but I don't necessarily want to be a disciple maker. They're one and the same. Disciples are disciple makers. You are both invited. Listen, the invitation of Christ is to come follow him. But to follow him means you obey the commands of Christ, and that is to make disciples. You cannot be a disciple without being a disciple maker. And you don't have to be a growing disciple before you can jump into making disciples. You need to understand the word disciple. In the modern church, the way we have primarily viewed it is that of a student. Therefore, uh, we have, in the last 50 years, things like Sunday school, um, where we pump knowledge down the throats of Christians, and it's, uh, it's learn, 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 learn. And that's great. That's beautiful. You need to learn. And we think the primary way that you become a great student is what? To get A pluses on all of your Bible quizzes. And yet, the true meaning of a disciple is not as much a student as it is an apprentice. An apprentice, to be a good apprentice, doesn't just learn from his teacher, he becomes. This is why Jesus said, you will do greater, you will see greater things than this. It's because we're going to be walking in the spirit just like he did on earth. He said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see amazing things happen. There's a big difference between an apprentice and a student. An apprentices don't just know what their t- teachers tell them, they become They become the teachers. Let me wrap it up by saying this. These 12 verses, they could obviously be flyover verses, but they're beautiful in showing us the three basic callings of Christianity. And that is, you need a change, meaning you need, you need to be born again. You need to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus. This is what at Crosspoint we would call love God. Number two, the calling to abide, to live, to walk in Christ daily, to put on Christ. This is what at Crosspoint we would say, grow up. And number three, the call to join him in his mission and the purpose that he has to make disciples. And this is what we would call serve all sharing your life, sharing your faith. I don't know what God is telling you tonight. And for some of you, you might have information overload with some of the notes. Take one or two of them. Whatever God's telling you that you're saying, okay, I think he he was speaking to me in this section. Maybe we didn't talk about it very long because I moved on to the next thing. Go back. Do what he's telling you to do. Take a step of faith in it. And I hope at the very least tonight you find yourself recentered as you put all things in your life under the lordship of Jesus. And you keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray.